Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. Okay, so to recap where this lesson's been so far, um, if we do not make space for those that we consider the other, we're going to just keep circling around our collective problems and we're going to keep not solving them. Our biggest problems, we have seen again and again, Problems at the family level, problems at your kid's school level, problems at Wake County level, problems at a national level, problems at a global level. We can't solve them if we don't work on them together. Because here's what the last several years have demonstrated. Uh, One side cannot defeat the other side and then just move on. Because both sides have proven their tenacity One side might prevail in a battle, but the other side will regroup and they will come back to fight another day. We can only solve our problems when we become able to work together, to respect each other, to hear each other, and to learn from each other. Now, that's a pretty unpopular position these days because everybody knows that the folks on the other side are Satan-worshipping axe murderers. And so, consequently, why would we want to respect and work with and listen to? But again, we're only going to solve our problems when we bring our reasonable selves, our better angel selves, to this task. When we hear and are heard. When we respect and are respected. So, we've been talking about being the ones who break the cycle and who start a new cycle, a respecting cycle, a listening cycle, an honoring the other cycle. Now, we are all aware working together is a pipe dream. Not even possible because mutual respect does not exist right now. So, that means we have to strip our expectations, things that we might have been able to do in previous generations all the way back to the very foundation and start at the beginning with the very basics. The here, now, small, doable basics. And for that, we've seen, we've got to start with our own interior capacity. So we saw last week, making space for the other begins in our own hearts. It begins with our own self-examination. In particular, it begins with processing, self-examining the scorn that has wormed its way into our own hearts. Now, if you missed the earlier parts of the lesson, you can catch up online, but that's where we've been, and today we're going to go further. So, after the lesson, we're going to have some questions we'll be talking about together, and to give you some time to be thinking about them, I'll tell you what they are. Uh, In the lesson today, you're going to hear how social siloing has shut down small talk. We don't interact as much about the shows that we watch or where we took the kids camping. We don't have those conversations as much with people who exist on the other side of whatever divide that keeps us apart. And you're going to hear how that negatively impacts social capital. 
you're going to hear how that negatively impacts social trust. So as the lesson's going on, be thinking about where that has happened to you. Where are you no longer small talking with people on the other side of the divide? And the second question, let's think together about how we might break out of this siloing that our society is doing to us, how we might rebuild the art of simple interactions with someone on the other side. All right, so those are the questions. Be thinking about those as the lesson goes on. <clears throat> Today's title, let's talk about the weather and other tips for rebuilding in a fractured society. Now, the other tips... I had great plans for today's lesson. We're going to have to get to the other tips next week. So <clears throat> let's say we've done the work of self-examination. Let's say we have seen how sneaky scorn is. Let's, see, let's say that we have acknowledged how it has wormed its way even into our own minds. And let's say we've done the work because we've become suspicion of what scorn does to us. So we've, we're looking at the narrative that is being force-fed to us every day in our culture. And let's say we're ready now to make space for the other. If we've gotten that far, what do we do now? What comes next? Well, let's talk about talking about the weather. Now again, everybody knows all about <clears throat> how evil and how toxic the other side is. 75% of the people who voted for Mr. Biden say yes when they are polled. 78% of the people who voted for Mr. Trump say yes when polled that the other voters are, and here's the phrase, a clear and present danger to the nation. Now that phrase, clear and present danger, it comes from a Supreme Court doctrine. It, is, it talks about when it's okay to limit someone's free speech. It's okay, the doctrine goes, to limit someone's First Amendment rights when speech creates a clear and present danger. So that would be speech like inciting a crime or speech like inciting a riot or shouting fire in a crowded theater, or threatening to kill the president, or speech that is espionage. That kind of stuff qualifies as clear and present danger. And when asked if the other side is that, 75 and 78% of us say, yep, for sure, that's exactly what they are. They are a clear and present danger. We ought to be limiting their free speech. Now, there's another statistics. It's a smaller number, but it's perhaps a more troubling number. 52% of people on one side of the divide, 41% of people on the other side of the divide think that we should split our nation and become two nations, that we should be a red nation and we should be a blue nation. So that's what's going on. Everybody knows how bad the other side is. We all understand it. We've all been force-fed it. So consequently, making space for the other, it is not going to be easy. And all of those numbers and all of those polls would be very depressing if human beings were not as complicated as we are. But we are complicated. Under all of our inflamed responses, under our reactionary, hateful human nature responses, we also have another human nature. We have a better angel's human nature. Now, when both sides are polled about very specific policies, 
the lines that divide us get a whole lot fuzzier. We get a lot more rational when we're thinking about actually solving problems. We demonstrate a much greater capacity to work together, to hear one another across the divide when we're talking about very specific things. When we are championing that issue that our team has to win, we get really dumb. But when we're trying to figure out a very specific problem, it turns out we're pretty smart. And it gets really hard to tell our opinions apart from one another. Our policy divides are not as great as they appear to be. Here's one example that I've just run into because I'm running for school board. I'm reading a whole lot of stuff at night to be able to think about doing this job. <clears throat> and I was really encouraged when I read, despite all of the emotion that has come up around critical race theory, which, by the way, I have asked probably 30 people who ought to know what critical race theory is, and nobody I know knows what critical race theory is. <laughs> but despite all the emotion that comes up around this very volatile issue, despite all the screaming and all the yelling that happens at school board meetings, only a very small fraction of people in our nation only a very small faction don't want integrated schools. By and large, we want integrated schools. We, only a very small fraction of us, don't prioritize getting a good education for all the kids of our nation, not just my kids. Because under all of that inflamed stuff, under all of that dark side human nature stuff, we are human. And part of natural selection was to embed inside of us a heart of altruism. Now, if we were to use spiritual language, we would say we all carry a sin nature. We do. And that sin nature tends to flare up when we feel threatened. That sin nature tends to flare up when we feel attacked or when we feel disrespected. But we also carry, we say it every week, the interior light we also carry a divine within nature, and that nature tends to come out when we feel at peace, and when we feel respected, and when we feel heard. So the spiritual journey is all about creating the preconditions in our own lives and in the lives of those we interact with to strengthen the one part of our nature and to weaken the other. What that conflicting polling tells us is that the divisions between us are more about our loathing for one another than they are about how we govern. <clears throat> the the uh, divisions between us are more about our emotions toward one another than they are how we really think we should function as a city or as a county or as a nation. That actually makes scorn an even bigger issue than policy. It makes malice and it makes disdain an even more important issue than policy. Now, our problem, it turns out, is more a spiritual problem than even it is a political problem. All that Jesus stuff about loving our neighbors, about seeing the humanity in the other, even our enemy, that will do more to move the needle and solve our biggest problems than even the best work on the best policies. Now, I'll enforce in a minute, policy matters. It does, and it matters a lot. But policy rests on top of a foundation. 
And when that foundation on which policy rests is crumbling, the policy itself will crumble along with. And that foundation is trust, mutual social trust. That foundation is respect, mutual shared respect. And that foundation is a shared humanity despite differences around policies. And that foundation has been eroding for some time. And consequently, governing and policymaking look around how well are they going. They're not going super well because the foundation under them has been eroding. Which says more about our moral blind spots, our spiritual blind spots, than it says about policy. Consequently, we will be able to affect more change with practices that awaken us to our shared humanity than we will using all of the important tools of organizing and voting and politicking and governing. So, let me <clears throat> remind you about the contact hypothesis. Uh, I talked about it several weeks ago. There's this rich body of research that tells us what actually does depolarize inflamed human beings. There is not much that works better to depolarize inflamed human beings than simple contact. A simple hello to the grocery clerk. Menial conversations that are not centered on our political identities. Conversations about kids with other parents. Ooing and aahing about a coworker's new baby. Figuring out trash day with the neighbor across the street. All of those mundane little conversations, typical, ordinary, uneventful daily interactions that are not tied to and stacked on our inflamed political identities. They're simple human interactions that highlight our simple human shared nature. Well, it turns out participating in those simple interactions is a very effective way to make space for the other. Contact, proximity, mundane interactions talking about the damn weather. A very here, now, small, doable way to build in a fractured society. As mundane as those interactions can be, they build a shared sense of identity. They evoke a mutual sense of sharedness, respectness, even trustness. What those kinds of conversations do is get us out of the ideological blood sport space and they put us into the neighborly regard, mutual care space. The problem is, as a culture, we have been force-fed the outrage message for a long, long time. Consequently, we are having fewer and fewer of those simple interactions with the other. Now, it is much more likely that we'll be talking about the weather with our own team and not talking about the weather with the other team. If we are going to push against the tide, 
we're going to have to figure out how to get out of the scorn spaces, how to get out of the malice and disdain spaces, and sure enough, these simple interactions, if we can recreate them, will rebuild trust, will restore a commitment to community, will help us move beyond our divisions. Won't happen overnight. It takes time. But building on lots and lots and lots of simple, untriggering interactions, we can begin to rebuild trust. Now, I know somebody's sitting here thinking, poor, poor, naive Doug. <laughs> he must not be paying attention. <laughs> because overcoming the crushing divisions that exist between us, and what? He comes up with small talk? That's what he's got? Oh, shut up. <laughs> but it turns out that human beings did not evolve to live at global news network levels. We did not evolve to live at these grand crushing division levels. We evolved to live at the neighborhood level. We evolved to live at the coworker level, at the coffee shop level. So mundane and grassroots and peer to peer, that's actually how the torn fabric of community gets restitched. And it turns out doing that restitching is not that hard. Mundane interactions are actually pretty easy. They're here now small doable kind of easy. The problem isn't that mundane chit chat is difficult. The problem is we have a resistance to doing it. We don't want to have that mundane chit chat with the other because we've got a grudge. We don't want to have that mundane chit chat because we've got a cartoon perception of what the other is and the way they are and what they think and what they would never do. We have beliefs about them that are inaccurate and very ugly. And so we've got an interior resistance that says, I'll be damned if I'm going to have that kind of conversation with them. Not hard to do, but they're hard to show up and do. Got to do some interior work before you're even willing to have mundane chit-chat with the other. We've also got external resistance because it feels unloyal to the team if we chit-chat with the other. Because really the only thing that we ought to be doing with the other is cussing them. And we will get an earful. I have gotten an earful. Why are you even talking to them? Why are you listening to them? Why are you showing them such regard and respect? That must mean you agree with them, and therefore you must not be part of the tribe. They are the great Satan. Don't you know you shouldn't even be in the room together? That uh, school board reading that I've been doing, a whole bunch of it, I also ran across this. There is a well organized effort uh, that's been going on for a few years right now to undercut public confidence in public schools. You've probably seen the folks screaming at school board meetings in Wake County. The thing is, that's not just happening in Wake County. It's happening across the nation at school board meetings. It's a national and it's a very well-funded strategy to find wedge issues and then undermine public confidence in school bo uh, public schools by using those wedge issues. So it's been going on for a few years now. So consequently, when people are polled about public schools, sure enough, there has been a decline in public confidence in public schools. Uh, but 
when people are, are polled, tell me about your kid's school. Tell me about your kid's teacher. Tell me about your school's librarian. Uh, public confidence remains very, very high. My kid's teacher overwhelmingly is doing a great job. My kid's school is overwhelmingly doing a great job. You might remember me talking about that Brene Brown book a long time ago. It's hard to hate up close. Up close to my kid's teacher, it's hard to hate. All the stuff around critical race theory, all the stuff about books in the library about two moms, all that ideological deathmatch stuff that's showing up at school board meetings, they're just not a big problem, the polling tells us, at my kid's school. Now, I'll go scream at the school board meeting because I'm sure it's true about public schools in general, but it's just not at my school. My kid's teacher is keep teaching my kids to read helping my kid figure out their multiplication tables, getting my kid ready for college, or getting my kid ready for a career. My kid's school, up close, hard to hate, because I have daily interactions with my kid's school. Little mundane interactions about the carpool, about checking homework afterwards at the end of the day, about parent-teacher conferences. That is the demonstration of the contact hypothesis how trust is rebuilt in a society, how respect is rebuilt in a society. Those small interactions form the glue that holds communities together. And right now, we're not having them. We're not chit-chatting with the other. We're not talking about the weather with the other. When we have trust, when we have respect, when we have mutuality, political identities they're just not as big a screaming matter. They just don't matter as much. When we interact with a coworker and talk about how much he loves his new baby niece and talk about each one of the little growth milestones and show pictures on our phones, we just do care less about ideological blood sport. It's not as big a deal. Every mundane small interaction, every talk about the weather interaction, it builds trust. It builds respect. It gives us a reminder of our shared humanity. That, in turn, becomes the foundation on which we build healthy schools and healthy neighborhoods and healthy communities. It is what Jesus taught about loving your neighbor. It won't be long if you love your neighbor before you begin to grow in your capacity for love. And when your better angels awaken, you will be even able to love your adversary, love your enemy. Now again, politics matter, policies matter. They do. Because what politics do is determine how we'll fund teaching assistance for our kids. Or how we'll pay for reading specialists. Or for bus drivers. Or for a teacher pipeline because we don't have enough people uh, applying to be teachers. Politics matters, voting matters, organizing matters, but they can't matter if the foundation on which they rest is eroding out from under. That foundation, mutual trust and respect, who knew, gets built on top of thousands of small, cordial, civil, mundane interactions. We talk about 
taking the family to the lake over the weekend. We talk about how hot it was and how I came home and napped for three hours because it was so hot. We talked about, I don't even like eggplant, but I found this restaurant and I found this dish. It was delicious. Now my daughter's on the swim team and my Lord, I'm in the car all the time. All I do is just taxi here and there. Small conversations build bridges and later we can cross those bridges. Later, once they're built, we can work across those bridges and solve problems across the bridges. Build enough strong bridges, and we can even work across racial divides, political divides, and ideological divides. So if we're going to, because we have to, begin at the beginning, we have to start building those bridges, and a good way to do it is small talk. Because the subtext of small talk is, yeah, we're all human here. Sure, we got different ideas, but the bottom line is, everybody here, we're human. Consequently, it is very dangerous that our society has been systematically reorganizing us. Reorganizing us so that those small interactions don't happen. Reorganizing us into silos. Now, when we talk about the weather, we only do it with our team. We don't have those weather chats with the other, which has for some time now been eroding out the foundation that will allow us to function as a society. We human beings are much, much more than our political identities, but we don't see that when we don't chat. We don't internalize that when we don't talk about the new taco place that just went in on the corner. When we don't talk together about our sore throats or our lingering coughs or the movies that we've seen or the music that we've listened to or a gazillion other non-threatening interactions, they are where we internalize, oh yeah, we're all human here. It's those simple interactions where we realize that human beings are multifaceted. They are richly textured. We are not just the single characteristic cartoon characters that we are painted in the national media. We are much more interesting, we human beings, than that. We are much more complex, we human beings, than that. We are much more wonderful, we human beings, than that. So last week, we start making space for the other in our own hearts. This week, after that, we push past the resistance, the internal resistance and the external resistance that keeps us in our silos, and we start figuring out how to do small talk. Just small talk. Not Braver Angels Red Blue State Workshop, not that yet, but we start talking about tacos. There is a reason why we use the phrase all the time, here now, small doable. First, because substantive social change, historical social change, happens less with a really big top-down action, and it happens a lot more with a million small, everybody-together action. We always overestimate how big mega-actions will move the needle, and we always underestimate how many small, doable actions 
will move the needle. So, <clears throat> I bet you know somebody. And maybe you're avoiding that somebody. Maybe somebody that you've consciously or unconsciously just pushed to the edge of your life because not in your silo, not on the right team. Maybe in your mind you have cartoon charactered that person. Maybe social media has told you what to think about them. Maybe cable news has told you what to think about them. And you can't imagine how you would talk about the weather with them. I bet you've got somebody like that. I also bet, knowing what might be at stake in a here-now small doable way, I bet you could talk about the weather. I bet you could talk about how good the blueberries are that are on sale over at Sprouts. I bet you could have that conversation. And I bet you could start having more and more of those small, relatively easy, but not happening interactions. And I bet you could make them a way of being. I bet you'd have to schedule it at first because you'll have to remember because we've all gotten out of the habit of doing it. Scheduling a reminder to send a text or to pick up the phone or to have a chat across the fence. But I bet you could relatively easily, here now, small doable, find a way to every day, every day, create a way of being. Maybe just a text or a call or hello. Maybe going out of your way to share a recipe or a story. I bet you could make a small investment in rebuilding social trust. And I bet you could do it every day. Which is to say, I bet you could be about the business of restitching the torn fabric of the community, rebuilding the foundation on which our society is built. I bet you could. Because really, if we keep doing what we've been doing, and it's not that hard to talk about the weather. It just isn't. It's not that hard to talk about the kids. It's, a t it's not that hard to talk about a tasty way to use balsamic vinegar. These are not that difficult conversations to have. Now, here's what I don't want you to hear today. I don't want you to hear this. Oh, Doug says our problems are not that big. All we really need is a little more small talk. <laughs> don't hear that. Ours are transitional moment in history problems. We are fundamentally deconstructing and reimagining and rebuilding all of the social institutions that make up our worlds. The worldview of the last 500 years is quickly unraveling, and the institutions that are built on top of that worldview are all breaking down. Family is breaking down. Education is. Governance, business, religion, all are in the throes of deep systemic change. These are not small problems. These are maybe five times in Western history caliber problems. And there is a backlash that's going on to all of this seismic change, and it is a painful, and it is harsh, and it is a difficult backlash. And like you, sometimes I get mad. I just read about a new policy institute forming in D.C. form for the express purpose of disenfranchising more people, excluding more people and undercutting schools more. And so, yeah, I get mad. You do too. But to be part of the solution, we have to step back from that visceral emotional reaction from getting mad, and we have to see the bigger picture. Our whole society is deconstructing and reconstructing. We are reconfiguring what the word society even means. And it is such a big project, and it has so much change, and it, 
and it is so frightening. Frightened people do backlash. This is human, and this is the time in which we live. But what our outsized problems tell us is that it is even more important that we tend to the foundation on which all of our structures rest. We have to tend to trust. We have to tend to respect. And we have to tend to the rebuilding of our shared humanity. Now, if we could skip right over that part and get right to working on our big problems, well, yeah, let's do that. But clearly, we can't. We have to start at the beginning, rebuilding trust and respect. And there are very few ways that do that better in a here-now, small, doable way than talking across the divide. We can't get to the job that is set before our generation if the foundation under us has crumbled. So here's today's question. Who could you be mundane with? Think of someone that you have siloed from. And how could you break out of your silo and talk about the Bluegrass Festival or the kind of generator that you might want to get for when the power goes out? Small talk really is here now small doable. We can do that. If we've got willingness to push against the resistance, we can do small talk. It's not that hard. But even so, when it does, it establishes the shared foundation on which our society rests. We're not going to move forward without it. So contact hypothesis. By the way, same thing Jesus taught. More mundane conversations in which every time we walk away a little more connected, a little less estranged, a little less alone. That's about as important as important gets. So who? Who is the other that you could small talk with? So in Dwelling Divine, may we be full participants in restitching the torn fabric of community. Amen. Well, if you would, please prepare your offerings. We all donate online now. If you go to our website and go to the uh, top of the page, there's a donate button, and uh, it'll give you several different ways to uh, donate. And remember what I say every time, when we invest in spiritual community, when we invest in our, we invest our time and our energy, when we invest our love, and when we invest our dollars, Here's what the community does with those resources. Takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of a context, an environment in which we thrive, in which we flourish, in which we grow. So, <clears throat> always a great return on investment when we give our resources to community. Again, at our website, top of the page, lots of different ways, about as simple as it can be. Um, so, what was I going to say? <laughs> I lost my page. Um, I think I know what we say next. <laughs> what we say next is in a moment we're going to dismiss the folks online. And you, if you're online, what we hope you'll do is what we're going to do here in the room. We're going to do what are you thinking here in the room. We hope you'll do that on Zoom. The front page of our website, if you scroll down, you'll find the link to it. 
And if you've hung in here this long, we're going to tell you the password right now. Are you ready? It is 1417. 1417. It's the first four numbers of our street address. I wonder if we'll change the password when we move. <laughs> so <clears throat> uh, go there, and uh, it's a great place to connect with people. It's a great place to deepen your experience of the lesson. Uh, it's a great place to begin forming your network of community. So um, 1417, front page. As we're dismissing them, let's put our hands on our hearts, shall we? And let us remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those things we call the fruit of the indwelling spirit, they are within us. We don't always access them, but they're there. Well, let's look for them this week. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look also for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God's blessing upon you all. You are dismissed. We are. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you